welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. Good morning, church. It's Sunday morning, and here we are online together. Last week, some of you came to our drive through service, and it was such a great experience to see you, to see your faces. I had um, emotional whirlwind of things going on inside of me. I was so excited. I was filled with joy. I was also grieving and sad thinking about this being the best Sunday I've had in six months, seeing you. Um, and it just rekindled my love for you as a church. I love being your pastor. I love being a part of this church. I love the people in this church. I love the ways that you quietly love and serve um, the city that you live in, and you are a living, shining example of Jesus to the people around you. It was, it was a beautiful thing seeing you guys and praying for some of you, meeting the new people that have never been to a gathering, um, seeing all the new kids uh, that have been born during COVID. Someone called it, I think, quarantinis or something like that. <laughs> I don't even know. Maybe that's a drink. I don't know. Um, so here we are. It's Sunday morning. And this time has been a challenge. Would you, would you agree? This season has been unlike anything we've ever experienced in our life. And it's brought up all sorts of issues. And recently I came across a study that just came out through Barna in some new research that they have of four new trends in the church. These aren't, uh, uh, these aren't style trends. These are trends that we are seeing across the United States. Um, and there are four uh, things that are happening at the moment. There is a, an increase in mental health crisis. There is a growing mental health crisis in the church. There is a growing loneliness. And the younger that you are, the greater the anxiety you have about that loneliness. Loneliness has already been an epidemic before COVID-19. And we are now experiencing a kind of loneliness that is daunting and depressing and challenging so many people across uh, the United States within the church. Third is a growing relational strain. People are struggling in relationships, not just marriage relationships, but parents are struggling with their kids. Grandparents are struggling with their kids and their grandkids. Roommates are struggling. Coworkers are struggling. We are seeing uh, an increase in uh, uh, relational strain in how you manage and, and organize your life around the things that are happening politically, the things that are happening uh, from government. We are experiencing all sorts of things and it's challenging. The other thing that they noticed across the board is that addictions are increasing. People are going back to old addictions. People are starting new addictions and addictions are deepening across the church. And that's heartbreaking to hear and that's not necessarily good news. Obviously, it's a challenge to hear about these things. Uh, in other words, I just need to say we are facing a crisis like never before in the church. But I believe as the church that Jesus equips us um, not only uh, to thrive, but to handle these specific growing issues we face in the church and around the world. I believe he wants to empower us um, together to heal from these issues and help others heal. I believe he wants to transform us and to allow us to experience his abundant life, 
here and now. He wants to form us in his image. He wants us to be his disciples who live as a non-anxious presence in the world and give that non-anxious presence away as a gift wherever we go. But this task of transformation, we have called it for years, uh, spiritual formation. Spiritual formation is this task of discipleship, our task as following Jesus. But we know it's not easy, especially the last six months, I would say, for many of us, I've heard it's been hard. Why? Why is transformation so hard? Or maybe a better question is, why is change so hard? And there's many reasons for this. But one of the most obvious, and maybe it's not obvious to you, is that we live in, in our everyday ordinary life with powerful forces within our culture and society that are shaping us into their image. And what do I mean by that? Every day you wake up, the, the world we live in is, um, is, uh, is not a neutral world. It's not like you wake up to a blank canvas. You wake up to uh, engage in what is what I will call a formation machine. We wake up to a world, a culture, trying to bend us, mold us, trying to sell us a perspective, give us a worldview, show us that this is reality, and those things, those powers impact our everyday lives. The, today, I wanna talk about being formed by the way and the word of God. Our desire as church, the garden church, is to be formed by the way and the word of God. And in order to talk about formation, we first must talk about the deformation we are experiencing currently in our culture. Mark Sayers puts it this way. In his book, uh, The Reappearing Church, which I highly recommend, he says this, our current Western context deforms our hearts and lives in profoundly destructive ways. Big business, big data, and big porn's ability to reshape our inner world is unparalleled in human history. Therefore, the next great awakening, the next renewal, the coming revival must be centered on our hearts being changed by God. It must begin by replacing the pseudo-Christianity of lifestyle enhancement with the spirit-filled faith of biblical Christianity. It must offer the renewal of Christ-likeness to those being deformed by our culture and the deepest parts of their hearts. Mark is saying that we live in a context where we are being shaped by industries that have the ability to mold us because technology is accessing our habits and our inner world. A recent documentary called The The Social Dilemma just came out on Netflix. And it makes a case for government to regulate the way social media companies are harming our freedoms in our lives. It is bending us uh, to buy products and so many other things. Uh, they, They reveal that the tech companies have a power to change our behavior, to t- change our worldview slightly over a long period of time. There, the, the, the entire industry of social media is an advertisement profit-based company, and they are able with certainty and precision to affect our moods and our thoughts and therefore our behaviors and decisions in the things that we do in this life. It's a great documentary. I highly recommend it. We know that culture has always influenced who we are, 
but never at the level of intentionality we've experienced now. Modern culture has formed humanity in its image. And what does that look like today? What does the byproduct, or you could say, what does the fruit of the cultural spirit look like in the world today? What does the fruit of cultural spirit, the cultural spirit look like in the world today? I'd like to suggest that the image that, cult, that the culture is molding us into can clearly be seen and it's exhaustion. This is the fruit of the cultural spirit. Exhaustion, burnout, anxiety, depression, loneliness, anger, compulsive behaviors, outrage and a lack of compassion or empathy, a lack of self-control, escapist behaviors, addictions, our inability to focus or pay attention, judgment, we are judging people. We're making assumptions about people like never before. What am I saying? What is this deformation all about? I wanna make it just abundantly clear. You see, brothers and sisters, we are being discipled by culture. We are being discipled by culture. Our unintentionality in ordinary life is is moving us towards the image of culture, not towards the image of Christ. We are being formed by sophisticated algorithms and artificial intelligence, these AI machines that are working to keep us addicted to our phones so that we would stay connected to their products. And as a result of this powerful cultural formation machine that we carry around in our pockets everywhere we go, without intentionality, we are becoming less and less ourselves and less and less like Jesus in the process. I think there's a crisis in the church and we see it across the board. And that crisis is that the church is being deformed by culture. And we must resist that power. And we must be intentionally formed by the way of Jesus and the word of God. Are you with me, church? Are we awake? That's a long introduction to simply say, in this series of defining who we are as a church from the book of Acts, specifically chapter 19, we have said that we are, as a church are a countercultural community and we are a courageous missional presence. And so the third topic is we desire to be formed by the way and the word of God. And so let's go and look at Acts chapter 19. If you have your Bibles, go to Acts 19. We're gonna look at this passage and we're, we're taking this this snapshot of what happened in Ephesus, that where there's this riot that occurs in Ephesus because of the church. There's this powerful testimony and witness of the community of believers within Ephesus, so powerful that eventually there's this riot that takes place. And how did it get there? Well, first we see that the church gives up its idols and it becomes a countercultural community, a movement of elimination of cultural idols. The second is, we're going backwards, is that the church had a consistent, faithful, courageous, missional presence in its context. It ministered the word of God and it demonstrated the, the kingdom of God. It, it, did, uh, it proclaimed and it demonstrated. It did deeds of kindness and generosity and also uh, prayed for the sick and we saw this powerful testimony of God doing extraordinary things through the church. We see this third element, which is this, Acts 19, verse eight. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. And listen to this. He took 
the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and the Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. We've talked about this passage before, um, but, but there's a unique strategy that takes place in Ephesus specifically, and I love it, that Paul takes, goes from the synagogue gathering space to a philosopher's hall, Tyrannus, where he has the daily discussions uh, uh, so much that uh, the Greeks and the Jews in the area, everyone heard the word of the Lord throughout the province of Asia. That is a powerful testimony of the church. Now, this isn't that unusual, but this is a, an unusual text because it, it, we get a lot of information about Ephesus. But Paul's strategy uh, was consistent. He went around the Roman Empire planting churches in these different cities. He would go to the synagogue, proclaim the kingdom of God. Jesus was the Messiah, and then he would demonstrate it. And then what we see is what Paul would do is he would take those who believed in Jesus, and he would spend time with them, and he would train them in the way of Jesus. His approach to church planning was different than our approach to church planning today. It wasn't focused on raising funds for financial support, although he had to fundraise. That's not something he didn't do. We read about that. He created a discipleship community. His, uh, his way of church planning was immersed through this cultural form of training because um, he came from a, 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 a way of education that was rabbinic. It was part of the rabbinic tradition, which is why when the outsiders look in on the church, when the Romans and the Greeks see the church, they don't call it a religion. They don't even call it a church right away. It's first known as the way. Christians were called people of the way. Christianity arrived into the, uh, this, the Roman Empire and the people on the outside call it the way. Why? Why would they call it the way and not a religion? Well, first of all, Christianity wasn't like religions in the first century. You see, religions weren't a threat to the Roman Empire. Religions had festivals and sacrifices and temples and statues, but religion didn't really change how people lived. Religions were more of a social club. Yes, it had the power to influence your mind and your worldview, but the Romans didn't care about those who were practicing different religious beliefs. They just said, hey, add Caesar to all of the other gods that you worship in your community, and that's what everyone did. They just added Caesar to the other gods that they worship, but Christianity was different. They didn't add Caesar to their list. They only had one God, and Christianity lived differently, and they noticed how they lived. The Christians changed how they interacted in the world around them. They changed um, how their social dynamics would, would be influenced. They changed how they managed their money, how they, um, how they did their everyday ordinary life. They, they didn't eat meat sacrificed to idols like everyone else, even though it was cheaper. They gave their money generously to people in need. They embraced outsiders. They welcomed the strangers, even if the stranger was different from them. They didn't practice sexual immorality. They changed behaviors to reflect their beliefs. This was different than the religions that the Roman Empire had conquered in the first century. You see, Paul trained people in the way of Jesus. We, we don't often think about this. Paul, the Apostle Paul, as a rabbi. But Paul was a rabbi, and he had disciples just like Jesus. 
And Paul's strategy was just like Jesus. He proclaimed the kingdom, he demonstrated the kingdom, and then he would make disciples uh, to model the life that he learned to live after Jesus. He created a discipleship community and his strategy was effective, so effective that a few hundred years later in Ephesus, they say that 90% of Ephesus became Christian. So effective that we are here and we read the letters written by Paul to his churches because he uh, was passionate about equipping community of disciples to follow the way of Jesus. Paul was a rabbi. Listen to what he says to the church in Corinth. Verse one of chapter 11 1 Corinthians, he says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, he says, therefore, I urge you to imitate me. His theology of training the church was a theology of imitation. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 9, he says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. Imagine that as a way of raising up a church. Hey, church, follow me as I follow Christ. Whatever you see in my life, in my everyday ordinary life, the way I parent, the way I, 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 um, I serve my wife, the way I'm married to her, the way I handle my finances, the way I worship, the way I read scripture, the way I talk to strangers, the way I practice hospitality, what if I could say, just follow me as I follow Jesus? Or whatever you see in my life, put it into practice. That's a scary thing right now for me to hear. I feel convicted as I preach this. But that's what Paul does. He invites disciples. To, he invites people. He gathered people around him to learn from him in his way of life, which was modeled after Jesus. It says he took the disciples with him and had da uh, discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Ephesus had an intentional spiritual formation process and it involved the life of Paul being replicated wherever he went. Paul created an environment where he could take an Artemis worshiping pagan idolater and turn them into a passionate follower of Jesus. Are you with me? Can I get an amen? Imagine if we had that confidence as believers, as followers, that we could take a, a Satanist and know that over time, them hanging out with us, not only will they be converted to Jesus, because that's clear, because life is so compelling, they'll want to become like us, that just hanging out with us, they will have this, this trajectory of, of following Jesus and become a disciple maker themselves. Come on, church. This is what we're after. This is what the world needs. Dallas Willard says, and what we're talking about is spiritual formation. I'm getting passionate. So let me get your amens and hallelujahs. Type, type them up on YouTube. Type them up. Send me that text message. Send me that email. I love it. Thank you for your feedback. Dallas Willard says, spiritual formation in the Christian tradition is a process of increasingly being possessed and permeated by the character traits of Jesus as we walk in the easy yoke of discipleship with Jesus, our teacher. Amen and hallelujah. This is the process of discipleship, spiritual formation, being possessed and permeated with the characteristics of Jesus. And that phrase, the easy yoke, comes from Jesus himself. He actually says this. He invites anyone 
to come to him. He says in Matthew 11, verse 28, he says, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The word yoke was a work instrument used for oxen. But in the first century, it was a term used to describe rabbis teaching and way of life. Rabbis would ask their disciples to take their yoke upon them and spread their yoke around. It was spread their way of reading Torah, spread their teaching, spread their way of life. And this is a very much discipleship rabbi conversation. And Jesus is saying his way of life, if you want to experience his way of life, you need to learn from his lifestyle. You need to embrace his teachings and learn from his way of living. John 14, six says, I am the way. This is Jesus speaking. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So brothers and sisters, if we want the fullness of life that is promised, the abundant eternal life here and now, we have to learn to embrace the life of Jesus, his way, not our way, but his way. We must learn to get rid of our idols and become a disciple of Jesus, not just a a follower of a church, not just a Christian. That has lost power. We need to be a student. We need to be an apprentice. We need to put our allegiance, our devotion, devotion to Jesus. We need to be disciples of Jesus, formed by Jesus, not deformed by culture, not deformed by politics, not deformed by Fox News or CNN, not deformed by the world around us, but transformed by the way of Jesus and the word of God. Are you with me? We have talked about this, and so I'm just proclaiming something that you know and in the next several uh, months, we're gonna, actually in a couple of weeks, we're gonna, we're gonna share with you a, a project we've been working on as a staff. We're calling it the Garden Rule of Life, and we'll teach about what that means, but we wanna give you helpful tools for you to experience transformation, for you to experience what Paul calls the fruit of the Spirit. Paul, the longer you're with Jesus, Uh, the more we should experience these types of things where Paul says in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and patience and kindness and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This list is so countercultural, I can't even believe it. When I think about social media and the outrage of our culture and I look at this list, I see peace and patience and kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. I think, man, this is what the world needs, but this is what the church needs in this moment. We need to be permeated with the fruit of the Spirit. And if you're like me, then when you see this list, you think, how do I discipline myself into these characteristics? How do I make this happen? How do I make patience happen in my life? Are you with me? I'm just gonna discipline myself to be more patient. I'm just gonna grind it out to be gentle. (laughs) Anyone else know what I'm talking about? that for some reason I've come to Jesus with this achievement focus, that if I could just do all the right things and do all the right disciplines, then yes, I'll become more like Jesus. But for some reason, despite doing all of the right things, patience is not a fruit in my life. Neither is self-control. And perhaps neither is gentleness. Um... I'm just thinking of the list now, wondering what it will look like in the next 10 years. 
if perhaps I'm missing something. And then I realized something. I had this moment of revelation this past week, um, something that has significantly changed my view of God. I've heard things like this, but, but nothing so compelling and convicting um, that changes my entire perspective of spiritual formation. I, I love spiritual disciplines and I love spiritual formation, um, but I came across something that has changed the way I see Jesus. And I wanna bless you with this because I think in this moment, if you just stay with me for a few minutes, I wanna encourage you with this concept, this word that perhaps is the most important word for us today. In the Gospel of John, there's a moment where Jesus is ministering to crowds. His popularity is growing. He just fed 5,000 people and it's exploding. People are excited. They're, they're, they're wanting to make him king. He walks on water and they're just, now they're like, this is the guy. And the crowds that are gathering and the thousands want to know some specifics. They ask him this question in John chapter six, verse 28. They, it says this, then they asked him, the crowds, what must we do to do the works God's, God requires? What must we do to do the works God requires? They see Jesus and they've seen teachers like this come, but nothing like this, not as powerful, not with these types of deeds. And they wanna know what do they have to do? What do they have to do to get their lives in order to, to bless, to be a part of what Jesus is doing? How, how can they achieve all of the right deeds and works? How can they do all of the right things so that they can, they can align themselves with Jesus? And, 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 and so he, they're expecting things like, you gotta pray, you gotta fast, you gotta do, these, do this list and read the Torah this way and do some acts of mercy and here's the long list of all the things that need to be right in your life so that you can be aligned. But the response that Jesus gives some scholars say is the purpose of the gospel of John. It is a summary of the work of a disciple in the gospel of John. Jesus answers, verse 29, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Now just stay with me for a second. The work of God. They ask a question about works. What must I do? And Jesus' response is about God's work. You see, God is sovereign. God is in charge. You can't possibly achieve the work that God is going to do in your own life. In other words, all of life is grace. You can't earn it. You can't work your way closer to it. Yes, we can partner with God in spiritual disciplines, but what Jesus is getting at first, correct your theology. This is not your work. It is his work. Can I get an amen that the purpose is to recognize first it's all of God's work and it's all grace and he is sovereign and in charge. Your task with knowing this is to believe in the one who he has sent. Pause. Believe in the one. Jesus is saying, believe in him. Believe in Jesus. Your task as a disciple is to believe in Jesus. Now, in our context, in the Western context, we take belief as this intellectual concept that we need to have the right ideas about God, the right theology and doctrine. With nothing wrong with that. We need to know all the facts about Jesus and argue people into faith, but that's not what he means by belief. A better translation for believe in the Greek is to trust in him, and it's active. 
he's saying believing in the one he sent, trusting in him, trusting in Jesus. And this, this idea of trusting him in, in him is this idea of day by day, moment by moment, trust in Jesus in his way. It's not about working your way to the characteristics of Jesus. It's about allowing God to work in you as you learn to trust him in your everyday ordinary life. It's about trusting God's grace within you, partnering with him in the work, aware of his uh, work around you, stepping into those things and learning to trust him. This is what we mean by formed by the way in the word. It means that we engage in life with this trust-filled relationship where we are present and attentive to God in the moment, where our beliefs are reflected in the way we live. Now that right there is a powerful truth. Is it not? I mean, that's so good. I, I believe that that's a powerful truth, but that's not the revelation I had this week. I came across a New Testament scholar's translation of the word believe. One of my favorite gospel interpreters, theologian Frederick Dale Bruner, in his commentary, he says, there's a better translation for the word trust or belief. And it's translated relaxing. And I quote him now, relaxing in Jesus is a good modern translation of trusting in or believing in. We relax by allowing ourselves to be held by him regardless of the storms or circumstances we find ourselves in. Relaxing in Jesus. In other words, Bruner argues that the purpose of the book of John is to get disciples to relax in Jesus and his way. This is the purpose of the gospel. Imagine for a second if the Garden Church changed its mission statement to simply, uh, our mission is to lead people to relax in Jesus. This is what John is getting at. This is what Jesus is getting at. This is the secret to the easy yoke. This, by the way, is why Dallas Willard, when he was asked to describe Jesus in one word, answered with relaxed. Because being formed by Jesus in our culture means we need to reflect the kind of Jesus in the scriptures. And that Jesus was relaxed. That he models for us this belief, this trust, this relaxing into the Father. So much so that right after he has this teaching, he talks about being the bread of life and that you have to eat his body and drink his blood. And everyone's like, what is going on? And they all leave him. It says that everyone deserted him. The entire thousands and thousands of people walked away from him. But Jesus trusted the Father's work. He, he says to his disciples, are you gonna leave me too? Brothers and sisters, this is what our culture needs. Our church, our, our, our culture needs a better Jesus to follow than what the church is revealing right now. And our desire as a church is to be formed by Jesus, his way and his word. And now, I think my desire for us is to relax in him and to reflect to the world this picture of Jesus. I thought perhaps this was one of the best gifts for this season in this time, that in the midst of everything going on in the world, to trust God's sovereign power and his authority and to relax 
in him, in a culture that is bending us in its image to make us exhausted, burnt out, anxious, depressed, lonely. It's pushing us towards escape behaviors of addiction and judgment, causing us to lose our sense of compassion and empathy. How might we challenge culture? How might we change culture? How do we challenge these powerful forces, these systems working against the way of Jesus? May I suggest to you, we must learn to relax in him. We learn from his easy yoke and allow our lives to permeate with his character and goodness. (sighs) So take a deep breath. That is the important work we must do. We must learn to relax in Jesus and trust God to do the work he will always do if we allow our lives to be transformed in his image. I love what Pete Scazzaro, because the question is, what does relaxing look like? I'm like, what does it look like for me to relax? Pete Scazzaro, who is the author of all of the Emotional Healthy series, Emotionally Healthy Church, Emotionally Healthy Leader, he writes uh, this. He says, I know when I'm relaxed. I know I'm relaxed when I'm enjoying communion with Jesus. I'm listening to my body. I'm less triggered by things going on in the world. I'm present to the beauty and the wonder around me. I have a deep sense of knowing and a desire for God's will. I'm detached from the outcomes. I've surrendered the expectations of others. I'm content. I embrace limits. And I live from a posture of rest. So in a few weeks, we're gonna give you some resources to help you live the way of Jesus. I wanna give you resources to learn the life habits and patterns to form yourself in the way and the word of God. I wanna help you to relax into Jesus as a teacher and as your pastor. But may may I end with this quote from Dallas Willard. You see, the greatest issue facing the world today with all its heartbreaking needs is whether those who are identified as Christians will become disciples, students, apprentices, and practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from him how to live the life of the kingdom of heavens into every corner of human existence. The question is, will you be a disciple of Jesus? Will you be formed by Jesus or by culture? Will you be part of the crowd or will you you be an apprentice? So brothers and sisters, may I invite you to relax. Relax in Jesus because he's king. Lord, would you come where we're at and let us receive this gift, this word from you that perhaps in all our attempts to know you, we have tried to discipline and grind our way to you. And all you want to do is release us. All you want to do is free us into being. So Holy Spirit, would you impart to us a revelation this, this morning to receive this? And we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit garden.church.